0: Hello? Are you there? Okay, we got it. It is well with my soul. What a song, huh? No matter what we face in this life, if we know Christ Jesus is our Savior, it's well with our soul. It is well. Okay, y'all sounded good this morning. You ought to be up front here where you can hear everybody singing it. I'm doing something, Timothy, I don't know what. Um, Anybody need a handout? Do raise your hand and Timothy will bring you one. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Lord Jesus, we come to you now knowing that your arms are wide open. And that you're welcome to receive us. And Lord, you know our needs today even better than we do. And so we ask you to minister your grace to us. Lord, we want to focus on your word this morning. In doing that, we focus on you we just commit this hour to you now for you to do it with us what you know we need to have done. We praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're in session nine, the third session this year, six years since you asked year, on redemption, accomplished and applied. And our priority in in teaching this series is so that we will we will know that our people have a good understanding of what redemption really is. You know, we all know the little saying, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And sometimes we don't go any deeper into God's word, into God's plan than that. But he has a rich treasure of, of theology of hope for us. And we need to dig it out. Proverbs tells us that's what we have to do. It's not going to fall into our laps. We have to dig it out. And so that's what we're attempting to do. And we're, we're attempting to take the order of salvation in the order that God has deemed to work it out. Last semester we talked about it the redemption accomplished? What did God do? What did he go through in order to be able to redeem us to himself? This semester we're looking at the uh, redemption applied. We started out with election, which is where God starts out. For the beginning of time, God chose those whom he would redeem. He set his love on certain individuals and that that choice was based on his sovereign good pleasure. It's nothing that we have done, nothing that we could do to, to attain it. God chose and we accept that. Then he issued what, we talked about this several weeks ago and I'm, excuse me, I'm reviewing this because um, we've had to take some breaks. We've had to take two breaks so far <laughs> in three lessons. Anyway, um, we talked about the external call of God. This is the call that goes out to everyone those who are elected, those who are not. You turn on the radio and you hear a preacher, that is the external call on a TV okay sometimes you go to a church and that's it and basically the, the difference between the external call and God's God's redeeming call is the Holy Spirit working in that all of the elements needed for salvation should be in that external call most people will hear it, and they'll go right over their head because the Holy Spirit's not working on them at that time. Now maybe they will eventually hear it and, and respond. But in order to respond, God has to put his Holy Spirit in our lives. And this he does. So at the bottom of the first sheet says that the universal call is a verbal proclamation of the gospel by which all sinners are called to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ for salvation. The external call can be rejected by man and will be rejected unless God intercedes. In and of itself it is not efficacious. The eternal, excuse me, the external call must include all the aspects of the gospel needed for salvation because God will use that this format, i use that for lack of a better term, to issue the internal call to those who are to be regenerated, those who are elected. So last time together, we looked at the. Um, you no, know, we did last time. We looked at the external call. This week we're looking at the internal call, and this brings the irresistible call of regeneration, that will not be refused by the elect. When God issues this, this call, those who are His, those who are to be His, will respond. At the appropriate time they will respond. The spirit moves in in the center of the heart of stone and implants a heart of flesh capable of perceiving and loving spiritual truth. The affections are are renewed after the likeness, the affections are renewed after the likeness of Christ, so that the new man hates sin. I like this sentence. The new man hates sin, loves righteousness. Thirsts for God, whom he has previously uh, abhorred, loves and rejoices in Christ he once regarded as foolish. A big difference when the Holy Spirit is in that call. The sinner's will was finally freed from the bondage of sin into the liberty of righteousness. As I've gone through this study and looking at the different aspects. Of God's calling us, it's been exciting to me to be able to look back in my own life, and now I can identify these points, that these elements that um, I couldn't before. I can now go look back and see what was the external call. I can see what was the internal call. What what was the difference in my own life? And, and it's exciting, and it's, and it's encouraging to be able to see that. I was saved 32 years ago, and I still didn't understand really what happened to me until this study, and getting into it, and digging into it. So as we go through these things, think back on your own experience. None of us were saved exactly the same, um, as far as the circumstances were concerned. But see if you can't put your finger on things Identify things in your life as we study through this. It might be amazing to see what God has done. Okay, the irresistible call is also the uh, call to regeneration. And regeneration, God unites the external call of the gospel preaching with his sovereign, effectual, internal call into new life. And when this happens, a man is born again. So God's taking the external call that we've studied about. He inserts into that his effectual call to new life, call to regeneration, and that's where a person is born again. Regeneration speaks of a a cleansing from sin and the creation of a new spiritual life. It is a it is the divine impartation of eternal spiritual life. Titus 3.5 covers it all. He says, He saved us by washing of regeneration. That's what we talk about, cleansing from sin and the renewing of the spirit, impartation of the spirit in our lives. So two parts to Regeneration the cleansing that we need before we can stand before Holy God and then also the creation of a new spiritual life. Until now, man in the process of salvation and until now, the man has had no part in his salvation. But the time has come for the grace-empowered and directed man to step out in repentance and faith. Until now, God has done it all. Christ has done it all. We have no part in our salvation other than bringing our sin to Christ. But now, when he regenerates us, when he, when he saves us, basically, now it's time for man to step forward and to, um, and to uh, repent and express faith in Christ. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So the first act of regenerate of a regenerated sinner is a conscious decision that he needs to repent of his sins and to believe in Christ for salvation. Do you remember that time in your own life? I do. It was a it was a tremendously convicting time for sure. But there were so many things that God put his hand on that I had to let go, that I had to repent of. And, and it was hard to do sometimes. You know, Nobody wants to have to own up to their own sin, go back and make amends for things that you've done that are wrong. But in my life especially, that's what God had me to do. So we need to, the first act of regeneration, when we first saved is to repent, of the sin that we have done, and to believe in Christ for salvation, and all during that time, uh, and for me it was a period of, of about six months to a year, I guess. And more people came to me with different aspects of salvation to share than I had ever heard in my life, you know. But somebody from church would come up and they'd share something. But there was one little lady; she was short. And I'll tell you how short she was. She would come up to me and the top of her hair would be about here. And her, her her message to me from God was that he wanted my obedience. She'd walk up to me and she'd look back and She'd say, Joe, what God wants is your obedience. What God wants is your obedience. And different people would come and, and share little aspects of of the gospel, like that, with me, and it was so good, so encouraging. So we need never think that we, our message to someone, maybe is insignificant. If God encourages us to share something with someone, we need to do it. That's that's part of His plan. Okay, so when the new believer is given spiritual insight to see things that, as they truly are. He sees the utter bankruptcy of his own sinful lifestyle, and his desperate need for forgiveness and a new path to follow. That's the first thing that God works on us. he works on us. This phrase here: "We see things as they truly are." Uh, that clicked with me because back when when I was going through this process, I remember saying to myself and to God. Now I see things as they really are. It was exact quote here. Now I understand. Now I understand. I was 32 years old. I had no idea what had been going on. I had been in church for 15 years and I hoped for 15 years, but I didn't know what was going on. But God saw to it that now that I had the Holy Spirit in my life, he could trust these, these truths to us. And I could understand it. And it was so exciting to see that work of the Lord in my life. And he put my feet on a new path, too, for sure. Uh, I could spend a month telling you what I put off and what I put on, but it's, you know, he turned me around. He turned me upside down. He, He put me on a path that I would never have considered prior to his Saving me, because now I prized the things of God. I prized the church, and uh, I couldn't get enough of it. Before I went for fifteen years without a, without the door. You know, such a day to that night to day change when God saves us and He calls us to Himself. So the first act of a regenerated sinner. Is a conscious decision that he needs to repent of his sin and to believe in Christ for salvation. When a new believer is given spiritual insight into these things, as they truly are, I'm repeating myself. Sorry, he sees the utter bankruptcy of his sinful lifestyle and his desperate need for forgiveness and a new path to follow. So what does a renewed sinner, what are some of his priorities in his life? Well, the believer will make a practice of righteous living. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God sees, for God seed, abides in him, and he cannot keep he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 1 John 3 9. And when we're, when we're born again, when we're saved, we're going to be changed. We're going to be different. We're going to, our life is going to take on a different meaning. Okay, And we're going to desire to have and to follow a righteous lifestyle. It's not going to be a complete change overnight. But over a period of time, you're going to see growth, you're going to see God's word becoming more and more complete in your life and a um, a born-again person just can't continue to live in their sin. God's not going to allow it. And the word of God should become a passion for the new believer as the transforming power of God in his life. Okay? Says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. One of the things that you believe us got to do is to get into the Word of God and let the Word of God start ministering to them and changing them. And um, he needs he needs someone to come alongside. He needs discipleship, he needs training in righteousness. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I love that, that word picture, of the unfolding of your word. And that's exactly what God does. Step by step, you know, you may start off with John three sixteen, but then as you get interested in the word, as you pray and seek him, then you find that God is slowly but surely opening that word up and we're understanding more and to me that's the most exciting thing in the world to see that you know, when we when I look, when I'm trying to determine whether someone is a Christian or not that's one of the first things I look for, what's what's happening between that man and the word of God is it becoming a treasure to him is it, is it, is it a passion in his life now there are degrees of passion, okay, but um, we want to see a, a, a diligence there. You want to see a longing for God's word as much as for His necessary food. God says, "Then the word, is, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You'll follow the word. We'll be when we when we have to make a decision. We'll go to the word of God. If we can't find the answer, we'll go to our uh, Disciple or whoever we can trust, to get to get into the Word of God. It's a lamp into our feet, it's a light to our path. It's your testimonies are my delight; they are my counselors. There's a paraphrase I don't know where I got it from, on a very loose paraphrase of Second Corinthians three eighteen, but I love it. It, it talks about the, the process of God Unfolding his word in life of a person. It says, the spirit of God takes the word of God and transforms the child of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's the whole process. The spirit takes the word. We can't do this on our own. The spirit takes the word, transforms the child of God, one who's been born again, into the image of God and all of that for the glory of God. Then, another aspect of characteristic that regenerates life is marked by overcoming evil influences of the world system. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. There's no way we're truly born again, if we're serious about our salvation, there's no way that we can live in the world. There's no way that we can enjoy the, the, the filth that's out there. We've got to separate ourselves. I had a lifestyle of love for God and, and his fellow believers he issues forth in a life of sacrificial service. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We'll have a lifestyle of love for God and for his people. You can't love God without loving his people. Most of these people, sometimes a little bit difficult. No, that's that's where we work on it. MacArthur says the newborn soul necessarily and immediately turns away in revulsion from sin and eagerly runs to embrace Christ. That turning from sin and unbelief is repentance. And the embrace of Christ as Savior from sin and and the embrace of Christ as Savior from sin, and Lord over one's life, is faith. And together, repentance and faith make up the single act of conversion. And that was the introduction, as Dan would say. Before. What we really want to look at this morning is the next step in the Plan. If you if you have turned to the front page of your sheet, you will see that we, we reviewed the internal call. And now we're going to talk about conversion, the actual conversion of of that lost person. Conversion makes up is made up of two points. Okay, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith work together for to bring this to conversion. As going forward in the Christian life, repentance and faith are such an inseparable and crucial part of the new believer that the Christian life is often referred to as a life of repentance and faith. If you've been around Dan Kirk long, you've heard him use that expression: repentance and faith. Life is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. New Testament authors regard the relationship between repentance and faith to be so intimate that the mention of one implies the other. That one cannot turn from sin without turning to Christ and vice versa. So let's look a little bit at repentance. Most common New Testament, this most common New Testament verb for repentance translates to change one's mind. And that change of mind brings a change of heart. And that change of heart brings a change of life. It's a turning around. You heard the illustration that uh, for a penance, you, you're riding down the street, driving down the street, and all of a sudden you realize that you're going the wrong way. So, what do you do? You stop, turn around, and go in the correct direction. That's basically the, the picture of, of, uh, of repentance. So how, how does that flesh out in, in the life of a new Christian? Uh, number one, in repentance involves acknowledging one's sin. This is a hard part of repentance, to come to, to grips with the fact of our sin and how possibly it may have hurt other people and how we need to make it right. John the Baptist came for, uh, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And since the baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, those who came were acknowledging that they were sinners. Okay. In a new Christian, the, uh, the personal testimony is a very, very important part of, of getting them uh, established in, as a walk in faith. They need to be able to, to verbally put into words what their life was beforehand, how it changed, and what it's going to be in the future. This helps them to grab hold of that, that reality of what they needed to do. It, it makes them uh, grab hold of the reality of, of their responsibility to sin responsibility for sin and responsibility to walk in a Godly lifestyle. Secondly, uh, this acknowledgement of sin also implies a fundamental heart change towards sin and a purpose to turn with, turn away from the sin. Jesus made it crystal clear in Acts twenty two, Your heart is not right before God, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, And pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Here again, this is where discipleship comes into into play. You know, we need to be able to to work with a a new believer, and and he doesn't know what he needs to do. He doesn't understand his responsibility in it. That's our our part to get in there with him and walk through uh, this life change with him. And number three, it implies uh, a change in attitude. Repentance implies a change in attitude resulting in a change of course that issues in a changed life. Changed attitude, changed uh, direction for our life and um, this is the rep- way repentance works its way out. And um, the final proof of our attitudes and course of actions have truly changed, resulting in a changed life, is to see the true spiritual fruit born in keeping with that repentance. Luke 3 8 says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And as we, as we walk through life with this new Christian, we need to help him understand the need to bring forth godly fruit, good fruit in his life and to, to glorify the Lord through it. Many years ago, and y'all, none of y'all would probably even know the person, a lady came through Calvary. Not, She wasn't here for very long. An older lady, she had a son who was up and out on his own. He wasn't, he wasn't a young man at all. But he was a he was an alcoholic, you know, and he had no no desire to kick it, no desire to, to change it all. But she was so sure that someday that that boy would boy, her boy, would go to heaven because he prayed a prayer. She could give you the date that he prayed this prayer. But there was no change in his life at all. He drank just as much just as, led just as profitable a life after salvation as before. No, that's, that, that can't happen. That can't happen. God is not going to allow us to live in our sin and our shame after we become his child. And that's not to say that change is instant. It's not. For some of us it takes a good while to work through some of our old lifestyle. But we are going to be a changed person. God is going to lead us to repentance so that and, and a change of lifestyle. But repentance can be a very difficult part of the Christian walk because it often requires that we acknowledge a weakness disobedience or sin in our lives. But then God already knows. He already knows and is just waiting for us to bring our need to him so that we might receive his grace and forgiveness and restoration. We can't hide our sins from God. We think we can, but we can't. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to bring that sin to him. He wants us to lay it before him as embarrassing as it is sometimes. He already knows it, you know. He's not hiding anything from him. This James 4 there is a verse that um, verses that have really ministered to me in the past in this area. Um, it says, but he gives a greater grace. Now, the, ta- the reference there is that he gives a grace that is greater than our lifestyle, greater than our sin. Okay. It's a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Okay. Now, what does that tell us about repentance? He's opposed to the proud. What would a proud man do? Try to hide his sin, right? Don't want to confess his sin. God's opposed to that person. He can think you're going to receive his maximum grace. He's opposed to that. He gives grace to the devil. So what do we do? We submit to God, therefore to God. That means we confess our sin. We say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? Maybe it's going to, to a council or somebody to help us work through what God's will would be for us in this situation. Gotta actively submit to it. Then what? Resist the devil and he might fly from you. Is that what he says? Resist the devil and there's a chance that he might not that he may flee. Is that what it says? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan's not gonna make you go very very easily, you believe me. We've got to resist Him. We've got to get in God's Word and find, find out how. There's a lot of false teaching out there about resisting the devil. You need to know where you stand. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. How do you draw an eye to God? It's a word in right? and, prayer and worship. We've got to get up off of our seats and, and do these things. We've got to resist it. We've got to draw near to him. And he says, Cleanse your, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you devil-minded. It talks about cleanse. Cleansing our hands. He's talking about sinful things that we may be involved in. Yeah. We've got to cleanse our hands. Okay. He said, purify your hearts. And we're trying to live in the, in the world and in the, in the spirit too. Yeah. We're double-minded. We're trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in, um, in the spirit. It's not going to happen. We have to purify that. And then he says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. That's not a pleasant thought, is it? But we have to, you know, when you start thinking about what your sin is costing you and what Satan is doing to you and how it's affecting other people around you, you'll probably mourn and weep quicker than you think. Be miserable over your sin. Mourn and weep over it. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to Mm. gloom. Then what does he say? Again, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and what? He will exalt you. That's what we want. We want God to to, to show us how to cleanse ourselves of our sin and to, to have a proper perspective on it to and mourn and, and groan when, when, we, when we disappoint him. When we're disobedient. But he's going to honor that. He's going to, he's going to um, lift us up. He's going to exalt us. And that's what we want. What is the verse in Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the promise of God. It's going to happen. Ephesians 4 also gives us a, an example of a repentance. He says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in a in accordance with the lust and deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You, know, a lot of, you, you, you read in there are other scriptures that say, put off, put on, put off, put on, but they leave out that middle section there of... Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. we got to put our sin off. But it's going to come back. I was saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How are you going to handle this? You know, how would God have you to handle it? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self. Which in the likeness of God, that's where we want to be all along, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So that's repentance. Okay. That, that, is, that is half of the conversion that we go through as a new Christian and parts of it is even as a, as a well-established believer. because Every day we have sin that we need to deal with. Every day we have sin that we have got to deal with. We can't let it go and go and go. Okay, faith, again, part of the process of repentance and faith. And while repentance might be described as the negative aspect of conversion, the act of turning away from sin. Faith can be styled as a positive aspect of the soul's turning to God, trusting in His person and work, in the person and work of Christ. To provide forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. So we turn away from that which is, is ungodly in our lives, and then we turn to Christ through faith. Okay. So saving faith is the fundamental commitment. Saving faith is the fundamental commitment of the whole person to whole Christ. With his mind, heart, and will, the believer embraces Jesus as Savior, advocate, provider, sustainer, and counselor. You know, it has to be a complete turn, turn away from sin, turn to Christ, and and allow him, expect him, believe that he will be all that we need to go forward. And he will. He will be the. The new believer does not have to progress very far in his new relationship with God before he realizes his utter inadequacy in spiritual matters. Second Corinthians three five rings true to them. Not that we are adequate in ourselves as coming in, as anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is in Christ. Do you ever feel inadequate? spiritual life. All of us too. And that's the name of the game. But our adequacy is in him. He is our savior, our advocate, our provider, our sustainer, our counselor, our Lord and our God. Sometimes he has to allow us to see our bankruptcy a little bit clearer so that we'll turn to him in a lot of ways, we don't we won't go to God until we've done everything we can humanly to keep from going to him. How foolish we are. Further Jesus says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God requires that we come to Him in faith. Coming to Him in faith is the only is the way that we acknowledge our dependency on Him. So if we look at faith it has three aspects to it. There's an intellectual or knowledge part of, of faith, the, the assent, and the trust. We don't have time to go very deep into this, but we'll just see what we can do. And faith the mind embraces knowledge. Some see faith as that which uh, takes over when we do not have sufficient knowledge. But that is not biblical faith. Scripture knows nothing about blind faith. You find people, they just want to flippantly Hey, well, I've got faith. You know, I've got faith. I'm living by faith. What, what's that faith in? What's the foundation of that faith? It's got to have a foundation. What, what we know is that foundation is the Word of God. True faith is based on knowledge. It has a sure and solid foundation, based on the knowledge of divinely revealed biblical truth. We just have to make sure that our our faith is based on the truth of God's word. It's easy to be able to justify something other than God's word. It's got to be on God's word. Hebrews 11 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The apostle Paul asserts that saving faith comes from hearing this gospel message concerning Christ. So it is impossible to believe savingly without hearing the gospel. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Saving faith comes by hearing the word of God. But then have to give assent to it. Some people know a certain thing but they're not willing to put their faith in it. This is required for saving faith. Our emotions must also give assent to the knowledge gained. Faith has an an emotional element as well as an intellectual element. Faith not only knows truth, but also assents to and wholeheartedly embraces the truth that is revealed in the Scripture. Truth is known and believed. So you can you can believe that Jesus lived. You can believe that um, he was a good man. But until you believe to the point of putting your faith in him and believing what he says about it, you, you cannot be saved. You've got to go that, that extra step. You've got to just commit to it. It is entirely possible to know truth without believing or embracing truth. With respect to salvation, the one who possesses saving faith wholeheartedly embraces the truth concerning his own sinfulness and Christ's suitableness to save him. That's the road to salvation. The newly awakened believer becomes absolutely convinced that he is helpless to address the inevitable misery of his spiritual condition. And he looks to Christ with certain conviction that Christ's sufficiency is the perfect answer. And God will reveal himself to that person to bring him to that point. So faith has to be based on knowledge, it needs to be based on biblical knowledge. We have to be willing to assent to that knowledge, to believe that, and then the third element is to trust. Faith cannot stop short of self-commitment to Christ. A transference of reliance upon upon our transfer of reliance upon ourselves and all human resources to reliance upon Christ and Him alone. It is receiving and resting on Him alone. We talk around here about salvation being by faith alone and Christ alone. He is our we know who He is. We base that on our knowledge of who He is as the Son of God. We assent to that, and then we trust. Faith cannot stop short of self commitment to Christ by transference of reliance upon ourselves and all human resources to reliance upon Him, Christ's moment for salvation. So saving faith, then, is the sinner in the whole of his being embracing all of Christ. So when we, we talk about conversion we're talking about the fact that God has brought an unbeliever to the point that he has presented Christ to that unbeliever in such a way that, that if, if that person is elect that, that he will receive it he will accept it he will understand it. And in doing that, he commits himself to that Savior. Christ's only answer, The only answer. Commit to that, and we will find him faithful to, to accept us, and to receive us, and to, uh, and to save us. And then every day of our lives we go through opportunities to trust him opportunities to believe what he tells us to do let's have a little prayer together Lord we thank you now for today we thank you for your word that your word is true we ask that you would Watch over us now as we as we go into the worship service, and I'll be asked that you will make yourself real to us. Help us to worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.